0: Maslow's hierarchy. is kind of like food, shelter. Water. Water, right. Some people say sex is in the hierarchy.
1: <laughs> That's in that hierarchy. That wasn't in my psychology. <laughs> Before
2: they get in your
3: The Welcome in, everybody, to Montgomery & Company. I'm Renee Montgomery, and I know I say this every week, but I love our show, so I'm excited for what's going on. We have Lauren Williams, who she didn't want to just win. I was alluding to that in the open, but Lauren Williams didn't want to just win a medal in the Summer Olympics. She decided, I'm going to just go ahead to the Winter Olympics and do that, too. We have Tunisia Wright, the head coach of the Atlanta Dream, to come through. We talk about our story. Y'all don't know. Me and Tunisia go way back. We talked WNBA draft my experience snook talks about being at the table with me what's her thoughts cole comes through to talk about look she already knew what was going on we're going to talk about a lot of WNBA stuff tap in oh life in sports for some reason sports intersects every part of life i met my wife at a sporting event You could even wanna reinvent yourself. You could start at the Summer Olympics and be a sprinter and you could reinvent yourself and be a bobsledder in the Winter Olympics. Sports intersects life. You wanna protest something, glue your hand to the floor at a sporting event when everybody's watching. Apparently life and sports are always gonna intersect. You know, we've watched people's career, you grow to love people. We watch Tiger possibly play his last game. We watch the fans show up in numbers at the Masters where if you traditionally look at the Masters, again, life and sports the Masters was a place that maybe the black community wasn't necessarily welcome into, but here comes Tiger Woods, transcends the sport, transcends how things are done in life and sports. Now you see Tiger Woods at that same Masters get a standing ovation. There is a walkway. There was a green mile where we watched Tiger take each step, maybe his last steps on the green own the Masters on TV because of life and sports. And so when I think about life and sports, we see in the WNBA that some people's lives are going to change. Some people are going to hear their name. They're going to get drafted. They're going to go to a new city, and they're going to become a star for that franchise. Some people's sports career may have ended. They may have already played their last game because they didn't get drafted. It's tough to get in. Life in sports. Some athletes are going to have to figure out, what do I even do with myself after sports? That's something that people don't even really think about. But as an athlete, your whole goal every year was to win a championship. Now my goal is what? It's it's working in the office. It's in a cubicle or it's work from home. Life in sports. You know, we saw the world stop. And we saw sports take control. We saw sports take the lead. And so when I think about life in sports, I start to think about so many moments that happen in sports that transcend life, so many life lessons that I learned in sports that now is just ingrained in me. Even right now, me and my wife, were always arguing. I want to be 15 minutes early. She wants to be there right on time. And I'm trying to tell her, baby, if we're right on time, we're late. Life and sports. You know, I was just talking to a producer that said Magic Johnson showed up for his interview 45 minutes early. Magic Johnson. Life and sports. Some things you are taught in sports, you'll never let it go. And so for me, I'll always be an athlete and I'll always be around sports and I'll always be proud to be in sports because sports teaches you to be a leader and sports teaches you about life. Life and sports, man. Fans get crazy. Post-pandemic, we've seen fans get a little crazier than normal, from spitting on Trey Young at Madison Square Garden last year to throwing popcorn and drinks on players to fans calling players racial slurs. I'm, that's not new, but we just saw more of it. More recently than usual, and now it's really taking a step. We have fans super-gluing themselves to the court in protest now. So let me just give a little bit of a backstory. As the play in games were happening, I'm minding my own business just watching the game. And I start to see all these tweets about a woman who super glued herself to the court and didn't want to come up and wanted her hand to get stuck and all of these different things. I was actually watching the game but didn't see it. Then I went on to find out that she attempted to glue her hand to the court during the Minnesota Timberwolves versus Los Angeles Clippers playing game at Target Center and a protest for animal rights. When I started to see that, I was like, well, what does that have to do with anything? Then people said that the shirt that she was wearing said Glenn Taylor kills birds or something. So I saw a tweet that said Glenn Taylor owns a farm that recently killed 5 million birds because of a flu outbreak. Something similar happened on a farm in 2015 also. So people assume that that's what this is about. This had happened in a soccer game a week ago. Another fan tied themselves to the goalpost in protest for animal rights. So this must be a new thing happening where... Fans are protesting on sports events and Glenn Taylor, for people that don't know, he actually recently sold the team, the Timberwolves, to another ownership group. He used to be the owner of the Timberwolves and the Minnesota Lynx, a team that I played for and won championships for, but now he sold the team to a new group that includes a-Rod, yeah, A-Rod is the guy. So A-Rod was there at the game as well. But we're starting to see now fans are almost using sports as their own playground to express themselves. And I don't know. I'm I'm retired now, so I'm glad I don't have to worry about no fans spitting on me or throwing drinks or popcorn on me. But it's getting real interesting out there at games is all I'm going to say. <sighs>
4: <laughs> I was just like, oh, Lord. I'm listening to all of this foolishness happening, and I'm like... People are just walking around unmedicated. That's just that's just to me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gonna say it. People walking around unmedicated because how in the world you go tie yourself, glue yourself to the court? She would have lost all the skin if I was the security no, person because yeah. I'd have ripped her right up off of that floor. Yeah. <laughs> skin mm-hmm. board everything else that was connected and walked on out of there I don't have time number one they should have what he should have done is oh you want to protest these sick birds that we don't want people to eat because it's dangerous they should have skinned every last one of them and put them on her doorstep and let her deal with a well, whole bunch of sick birds?
1: birds
3: are they eating birds out there in Minnesota I was going to say what
1: it, kind I, was of birds it chickens?
3: What what Was what chickens? what were they like? What? I think it was uh, actual birds that fly in
4: the sky yeah birds nobody's eating birds I don't think well then why are you protesting if they're all sick sick and they're already affecting the the population they're trying to save the population of that particular animal and and it's not right that they have to die but if you can't cure it you don't want it to spread I mean, this is the thing. Kill every
1: bird in America. Yeah, but that's the
4: thing. It's, I don't understand. <laughs> what is going on? Wait a minute. What are you talking
1: about, Snook? I want you to explain yourself real quick. If there was an issue, and this is the only way to take care of it, it's like a quarantine. You can't quarantine the birds. So they you know, will be going where they go. And so- Okay, this the,
3: is taking a turn for the left. I want to tell that we are your friend, first of all. We're not <laughs> saying that- no. We don't know all the weeds of everything. Yeah, we I'm going to Figure get out out what of type the of weeds. birds are
4: these food birds are these regular just wildlife birds yeah we got
3: questions basically we got questions as to why you would want to glue yourself to the court.
4: Bottom line is, this is not the place to do it. You don't glue yourself to a court.
3: I think he's trying to save
1: the birds, actually, because these birds are sick and they're just multiplying. Like I said, they can't put them in quarantine. So he was trying to do something to save the bird population so it won't get wiped out.
3: But did you read an article that said that? Do you have, like, is this facts or is this opinion? No, no. This is opinion. Okay, I'm just making sure this is just our opinion. We have she's, no she's fact base. She's
2: She's putting a disclaimer. This is just opinion.
4: My opinion. Opinion is is that I don't have time nor patience for this you tying yourself to the goalpost we'd have played the whole game with you out there looking stupid I would have kept on <laughs> going I wouldn't stop my game to unwrap you from a goalpost you want to stay out there and look dumb if you want it to be documented that you would have stayed right there on that tied to that goalpost while we kicking the ball as hard as we could toward the goal if you want to be that dummy then be that dummy because I mean because it doesn't make any sense the thing is is that you've not saved one bird not one bird. Yeah, I think that not they're trying to bird. build awareness. I'm not sure. Okay, also we're aware heard... that the kids. We're aware the birds have bird flu. We're aware. Yeah,
2: and then th- th- that's it. I-, I just, I just have questions because it's like, okay, <laughs> what kind of birds were they? Did they have the flu? I heard, cause I heard something about some, like they were the sick with flu. some kind of flu oh, yeah. or something. I want to know how does she know about the
3: five thousand birds? And I five decided, million, like, that, five, uh, five, uh, was million. it 5 million. I think that the wow. it was an M after it. Yeah, five million birds because of a flu outbreak. And so, that just causes a whole nother thing of questions. I don't even know how, how,
2: how I just. Well, we but all got that, COVID, that, that, so irrelevant. they
4: could all get the flu, too. Everybody getting the flu. <laughs> right.
2: I mean, I just want to know, like, this is what people are. I mean, I, I'm I'm just I'm not saying that, that the birds don't matter or anything, but I'm like, this is what people have time to bring awareness to. There's a lot of problems and issues in the world. And I'm just saying, like, you know, when when everything was happening with the sports leagues and when people people were trying to bring awareness to racism and things like that, they were telling every, the, the no sports sympathy. leagues that they didn't want to see that. Exactly.
1: No sympathy. I just looked it up and you said I think in the article what it happened before. Ah, <laughs> uh, she don't wait and look she got herself some yeah. facts, honey, okay? Yeah, and it says Minnesota declared a state of emergency over bird flu and poultry. So it's not oh, you see? know, it's something that's happened before, you see. So he's just trying to help not Wipe everything out, I think I'm just I mean, and,
2: and my thing is like What what would she suggest for something like that?
4: We want our fried chicken <laughs> Nicole, what, what bye Nicole girl?
3: Cole's in <laughs> timeout. <I'm>, Cole is officially <laughs> in timeout. Serena, what did you say? Cole said I, fried chicken I don't know what else was said
2: in there I but said we Cole, want our
4: fried chicken <laughs>
2: I, I
3: don't know, because I just lost my whole train of thought Thinking about fried chicken <laughs> <laughs> oh, just, You know, this honestly makes me think about When you talk about the health of animals I'll never forget when my best friend told me that a lot of the aquarium animals started to get COVID and they had to shut down the aquarium. The the largest aquarium in the world, I believe is here in Georgia. And we had to shut it down because humans were giving the animals COVID. So just the same way humans can get sick, so can animals which includes birds. Snook looked up the facts. There was a whole thing going on. So now we're not just opinion-based. We threw you a little bit of facts, but one thing I will say is, fans, y'all gotta just, can we just take a little care of the athletes, how you treat them? Don't spit on athletes. I just think that's crazy. Like imagine a human that you don't know spitting on you. Imagine you're in your zone, your mind is locked in, and all of a sudden you see a human super glued to the court. I feel like that would get me out of my game. Personally, I feel like I would have I feel like I would have a lot of questions about like, why would this human want to super glue herself, rip her skin? Like, what's going on? It might get me out the zone. So I'm just saying, fans, as you guys attend sporting events, there's some unwritten rules and etiquettes that we just gotta get back to it because tying yourself to the goalpost, stopping the game, gluing yourself to the floor. I can't even believe I'm saying this, spitting on players, throwing drinks, that ain't it boo-boo, let's just do a little better. I just
2: want to know, what was her solution? Like, (laughs) I'm not saying that there was just one solution for the
4: birds, but I just want to know, like, what did she propose? Sam, I... I had to say I think I was like what bird did she save what bird did you save I just want to know what
2: what would she propose is the solution for that I, I don't know if killing all the birds was I don't know I just want I want to ask her like what do you, what should what should they have done with the birds
3: Clearly we got questions
1: It would be interesting to find out I know I've had super glue incidences where my fingers got glued together. That stuff is tough,
4: and and, and I just want to know how how did they get I it? I literally do not want to give that any energy because it was completely No, ridiculous. No, I don't want to physically
2: ask you. I'm just saying. No, like, I'm just I would, saying. I'm just saying. As far <laughs> as
4: even them telling people, only people who would have knew were the people who was there. They were like, "Do you know that woman glued herself? Well,
1: and how did they get her loose? That's what I want to know about. You know, cutting her. You know, I just it just seems really far-fetched to me I'm done
3: that Paul just said in the chat she's vegan I don't know if he even wanted me to say that out loud but if she is I don't because Cole and her fried chicken I see there's the conflict right there so I digress but we're out of (laughs) here Up next, we have the homie, but also the head coach, the new head coach of the Atlanta Dream, Tunisia Wright.
2: Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th
3: Take it all the way back. When did we first start whipping our hair back and forth, to <laughs> <junk>? <laughs> No, you did not. <laughs> I whipped my hair when we start, like, you know said i think I think our story started in chapel, if I recall. Is that how we, like, how do, I know your besties with all the Huskies, but yeah, how did, You're funny. You're sad. How did it happen? Like, how do yeah. we,
5: where was the starting point? I mean, we know basketball. Basketball is universal. So I think anytime, you know what I mean? You play against somebody for as long as you play against for somebody, there's some type of connection or draw. But I I, I agree that that whole, I whip your hair back and forth, you know, it's it it started it all. It started <laughs> it all. So,
3: Tunisia and I, was we kind of, yeah, we was whipping in chapel, which if that makes any sense. Now that I, like, as I'm saying it back, it doesn't make Ooh. as much sense as it did at the moment. But then every time I saw her, we just started to talk more and more and more. It even yeah. went on to, we were both playing in Israel at the same time. What team were you playing for that we ended up playing y'all in the championship, right? I
5: think it was Romley. Was I on Romley
3: and You, you were was on Hashtag? Ramat Hen and I was on Ramat Hasharon. Is that right? I don't know. Ashdot. I mean,
6: you you were on Ashdot and I was on the right. Ashdot. Okay. <laughs> terrible with names. She said I
5: don't know. She made up complete names, mama. Listen, <laughs> you know, you see mama knows. Right.
3: I see. So listen, it was actually crazy though because during that time, do you remember that our city got bombed and we yes, had Yes, you actually... were in
5: Ashdot, yep.
3: Yeah, so I was That's in... why I remember. Yeah, so yep. I was in Ashdot. And we didn't leave because we were playing y'all in closer to somewhere in the playoffs. It might have been the finals. I can't really remember. But everybody thinks I'm crazy. But talk about how normal it was in
5: Israel. Did you guys even know that our city got bombed? Yeah, I mean, we for sure knew, but it was nothing that like scared us. You know what I mean? And and I think that's just like and it, it's a general, a general thing. Like when you're over there and you're playing and you're, you know, you're immersed in it and it's like everyday life for you, too. You know what I mean? And so like it wasn't anything that scared us. We just went about our regular days like we we trust. It's almost like a blind trust. Yes. Right. Like teams are telling you and people are telling you, oh, everything's fine. Don't worry about it. And we're like, okay, everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Keep exactly. On, exactly. Keep on we kept hoping. playing. We keep kept hooping. Then you we know? threw a
3: joint birthday party. This is wild. Sagitt- you Sagittarius, baby. I'm saying. We- Sash.
5: <laughs> oh, Sash. she showed me the pictures. She showed me the yeah. team. team <laughs> Sash. I was going through my photo albums the other day because, you know, I was packing, getting ready to come here. And I come along a, a huge photo album with all the pictures. And I'm like, well, hey, look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> oh. look at this. It just starts.
2: Snapping! Wow, so it's full circle that you're back here together. It is. It's crazy. Yes. man. it's crazy.
3: That's what I was trying to get to because we just there was no reason that we connected out of the 144 players in the WNBA. There was not really a moment where we were at the same activation at the same time or we didn't play on the same team. But for whatever reason, Tunisia and I just kept connecting. Whether it you're was on in the America same team now. And now, exactly, ex- exactly. So that's Ten where I was dream. going. Listen, <laughs> we are talking about
6: dreaming. <laughs> <We're> <laughs>
3: dreaming. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to talk about. Like. Your maturation is crazy. You, we, we all knew you had the basketball brain. I played against you. I, you could just tell the players you play against who has the basketball IQ, the mistakes they don't make, the discipline that they do have. You had all of that, and then you went into coaching. So, how did you know it was time to stop and to go into coaching? And like,
5: did you always want to be a coach? Because I never wanted to be a coach. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I didn't. I never wanted to be a coach. Um, Brian, both Brian and Bill, both saw something there that kind of just like all right like I'll try it let's try my hand at it um because I always saw coaching as when you go through the process of becoming a coach you realize coaches have a lot of power towards players and their confidence
2: so even as I
5: was playing exactly my first couple years it was just like well this is shit you know what I mean (laughs) where you don't have a player who, who doesn't really um When you don't have a coach who has confidence in you, it's really hard for you to grow and get better and really show what you can do. But then Brian came along and really had a confidence in me. So I looked at coaching as two ways. You have the power to build someone up or you have the power to break someone down. And so originally I never wanted to go in it because I never wanted to be that coach that broke somebody down. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I'm for not sure. saying that coaches do it on purpose. It's just like that lack of confidence or going with somebody else or going a different way, you know, that can break a player. Facts. And so I never wanted that. So I was like, no, I don't want to be coaching. And then, Towards the latter years of my career, like, it became evident because all I was doing was mentoring and coaching young players. There you, go. you know what I mean? Yeah. I
3: already know because, listen, them that players that you mentored, they all blew me up when we announced that you were our head coach. <laughs> I want you to know this because That's I cool. didn't know what was going to happen. Like, you know, like, I felt very comfortable that you were the person, like, I— like. I wanted you here. I knew that you had that care for the players. That care that you're talking about is going to go a long way for players. You need somebody there that cares, that's going to pour into them. But what I didn't know was going to happen was that Tina Charles was going to be hitting me up. Alicia Clark. like Everybody that you were mentoring and touching as you were a player, they were turned up. Or even as a coach, because you know you coached in the WNBA too, those Mm -hmm. players. They were so turned up at the opportunity that you for you to be a head coach. So I like just that alone let me know. If we didn't know already, which I already knew, yeah. but if everyone didn't know already, <laughs> the amount of people that speak for you, that says a lot about how you carried yourself. And I think that that's something that, you know, gets overlooked with your basketball IQ. Yeah,
5: it's building, it's building relationships and it's being genuine. The one thing I can always say about me and my career is I've always been me. I've always been real. I've always supported um, players on my team. I've always tried to help build them up, build up confidence, give encouragement, and so all those different things are are what I'm bringing to the dream and what I foresee us being and doing as well. You know what I mean? I Definitely. think you can go a long way when you're when those are the attributes that you have, and those, quite frankly, are championship attributes. Bingo. you know what I mean? Bingo. Those are championship That's attributes. It. That's it. Um, and, and championships come over time. They don't come right away. They come over time. You have to build those things, and you have to become those things. And then once you become them, then it's just a matter of time. Then you get the right pieces. Then you start getting the talent, Bloop. and then you put it all together, and it's just a matter of time. But you have to build those things. You have to put time and energy and invest into developing those things. So,
2: And I love that you said that. Well, Let me tell you, you definitely talk like a coach. <laughs> well, I'm all into build back better.
3: Snook said build back better. <laughs> build back
1: better.
5: Build back <laughs> Better, yeah. Back better. I love that. Although I love said, that you definitely
3: B. talk
2: like a coach too. Because I'm feeling pumped up. Just I, I know you're not trying to pump us up, but I'm feeling like you get like yeah. we're getting
3: ready to go on the court right Fat. now. Yeah. Thank you. It's y'all time. get it. It's it's go time. Time. Yep. Y'all go get it. So that's what I'm trying to say. There's so many different types of coaches and different ways to lead. You could just hear from right now just us that people will wanna follow. So I think it matters too, that you've also won and you've also lost. So what like, as you're building and putting together this team, because the luxury that I was really happy that you get is you literally get to build your team, like build a team from scratch. And so what type of coach are you? What type of team do you want? Like, what are you building here?
5: I understand as a player, I I I was different, right? And as a coach, you have to be a little bit different. You have to shape. You have to change. You have to shape mold. You know what I mean? But your essence is your essence. And so, high accountability. We're gonna be a team that that's high accountability. Like you're gonna go to work. You're gonna have good work ethic. You know what I mean? You're gonna own your mistakes. You know what I mean? You're going to move on. You're going to have next play mentality, some toughness in you, like all these different things. You're going to be all in. You're going to have a we over me type attitude. You know what I mean? It's not about me. It's bigger than me. It's about this team. And at the end of the day, it's going to be keep the main thing, the main thing. I 100 percent believe that the main thing has to be the main thing. If we have players, too many players on your team that, you know, they're focused on this, that and the fifth, like you want to get stats. You wanna do this or you wanna do that or you're too worried about the playing time that it's you didn't get work. or whatever. You know what I mean? Rather than keeping the main thing, the main thing, the process and the work and enjoying the game and having fun and celebrating your teammates when they do some good shit. Come on, you know what with? I mean? Sign me up.
3: That's what I'm <laughs> You still, you still can shoot. Let's go. <laughs> like, oh, y'all, like, serious? Look at the wrist. That's all I'm saying. But it's because you know, like I'm you so know? excited. Like everyone knows, like. I'm easily excitable but what really makes me excited is that like the Atlanta hasn't been that city. You know, you we both played in other cities that we know what it looks like when an organization pours into a team and Atlanta just hasn't been that city for whatever reason, it is now. That stuff is changing now and so that's what's so exciting because as a player you want a coach that's going to ride for you supports you make hold you accountable but also an organization too so can you just talk about like when you were deciding you know like we we put the offer out to you you had to think about it you know so can you just like what were you thinking about as you were deciding on whether or not to become the head coach of the Atlanta dream
5: quite frankly it was an easy decision for me yes. um the ownership group that had been in place with yourself with Suzanne with Larry just top-notch in what you want to do I've been told from mentors and other coaches, like, not every job is for you. Don't jump and don't balk at every job. Right. But when the right job, the one that fits you comes along, that's the one that you should go for. And so for me, this was the right job with the people that were in place, the the hiring of Morgan, which was a huge big time get. Like when you look at that, it's one thing to want somebody with Morgan's pedigree, but to actually go out and get her, that really says like, okay, we we doing this for real. You know what I mean? (laughs) We're, We're actually doing this. And so for me, it was an easy decision. Listen, I love the WNBA. I love the players. Atlanta for so long, early on, had been a place where, you know, it was hard to come play. People did not want to come play here. You knew what you were going to get. Over the last few years, it has, it has digressed from that. And so the opportunity to bring it back to its uh, former glory was intriguing. Right. And then to your point, what you said, being able to build it from scratch, having a franchise that's going to support that and understand that it's going to take time, but I'm going to support you while you do that. And we're going to get there. Um, there's no it. doubt in my mind that we will get there. That's Woo! awesome. I That's will awesome. get there. <laughs>
3: Come on, listen. All right. So, Shout out to Morgan Shaw Parker. Uh, she's a legend. Shout I got to give a love to Suzanne because the way that she goes about and snagging just amazing talent. Morgan, I'm just, I'm team Morgan. Morgan knows that. Everybody should know that because you need, I say we got a super team in the front office. I told y'all yesterday, we have a super team. team. Yeah, even Dan <laughs> Padover. I mean, oh, two-time great. exec of of the year for the WNBA, back-to-back, and he's ours. Like, hello, super team, turn up one time. And then now, all of a sudden, y'all are marching all the way to the number one pick, did you know right away it was Ryan Howard? What like what was your thought process going in? How did we get the number one? We
5: knew. Listen, we knew. Um <laughs> well, you know, when, when, when Mike came calling, we were shocked. Like, you're willing to give it up? Like, okay. Oh yeah, right, you know oh what right. I mean? But it wasn't, it's, listen, anytime you're in that situation, it's not an easy, it's not as easy of a decision as you think it is. There's other things that you have to consider because you're building a franchise and you're not just building a franchise for one year, right? Um, you're building it for the future, you have to make decisions that are going to be best for the future of the organization and the franchise, and so it's for sure something we considered. But who we considered, I don't think that that was like that was easy. Was she done. was hands down, yeah, she was hands down the best talent um, in this year's draft, with without a question. And we're super excited about the type of player that we're getting and her potential to do something great in this WNBA. Um, I, I think what people don't realize about Ryan when you look at her, you know, the knock on her had always been like her motor. She doesn't have a high motor, right? But she has a very quiet competitiveness that I think the WNBA is gonna be able to tap into because I think the talent is gonna make her rise, right? She's somebody who's competitive and doesn't want she I'm gonna be embarrassed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And she got the skill level. She has the skill level to play at this level. And so I think when she starts going up against the talent of our league, she's really gonna she's gonna rise to the occasion. And that's what I'm looking forward to bringing that out of her.
3: Love it. And then I personally think we got the still of the draft when we got Nas. Hands down. <laughs> hey, like I I tweeted like this is the still of the draft because. It's a blessing that we got Nas Hillman at number fifteen. Can you just talk about why her and then just? I was in the war room when it happened. Yeah. Okay, yeah. like oh, it yeah. was exciting as we were it looking. we
5: were like twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Yeah.
3: So can you just talk about? We knew it. Yeah.
5: Um, you know, it's it's not the question of why her, why not her? Mm. Like when you look at Nas's career. Over the four years that, that she's been at Michigan, she put Michigan on, the, on on her back. And listen, I'm a Big Ten kid. Okay. Michigan Michigan was nothing. Like, <laughs> we don't know Michigan. You know what I mean? Like, when I was in school, like Michigan was just Michigan. There was nothing to be hyped about. It was Penn State, it was Ohio State, it was Purdue, um, it was Minnesota. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like there was other, there was Michigan was nothing. So she comes along, and now Michigan's in conversations. They're relevant, like all these different things. She put Michigan on her back, and she's just going to get better and better and better every year. She's somebody who is just going to outwork you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just plain outwork you. She's a rebounding machine. She can go get you an extra possession. She finishes well with both hands um, at the rim. She does her work early. You know her, the the knock is her size, right? She's six two, um, but what she does, thank LaCoe Laco Willingham. Okay, yeah, right. What she does, what she does really well. Now she doesn't shoot the ball as well as LaCoe does, and so she'll develop that, right? We will put the time into to develop that and get her confident and being able to knock down um, shots as she gets, you know, as she progresses throughout her career. But positioning, she's excellent at getting early position and putting herself in a position to score those easy baskets because she doesn't work early. And then she's just, she's a ball player. When you look at Nas, she has a great feel for the game, understands the game of basketball. Um, and she, she comes from good stock. When you look at her family, she comes from good stock. Definitely. So we're excited about, we're excited about Nas and, um, and what she can, can bring to yes. our franchise. Yes. The yes. highest draft too. pick in so, Michigan history.
4: So basically, the dream is going to be another nightmare. That's great.
5: The
4: dream is going to be another nightmare. I like that. I I like like what you did
6: there,
3: Cole. I like the play. I love it, Cole. We're fast forwarding to the first game of the season. It's your first as a head coach. Walk me through what's going through your mind there. Like, what are you thinking about heading into this season?
5: You know, just preparation. I think like you, you prepare, you put in the work, you do your job, you get prepared for, for the games, and then you go out there and you coach them. Just like the players have to go out there and play them, you go out there and coach them as you see fit. What I think that um, I did a pretty good job was was hiring my staff, so when you look at Christy Sides, who has tons of experience, when you look at Paul Gores, again, who has tons of experience internationally, first years in the dub, but has been playing against players in the dub um, pretty much his whole career, built Canberra um, from scratch to a – Title contender and I championship and championship winners like he has two championships under his belt in the WNBL, and then you look at Barbara. Come on, you um, knew he was going to get a husky exactly. now. Come on, exactly. now, listen. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then you look at uh and then you look at Barbara, who just um who had a long professional career playing overseas. She's playing the dub as well. Just finished up with the with the Houston Rockets as PD and done an amazing job there. I I think I have a I have a star-studded staff that's going to help me in those areas where I still need to grow. Um I'm not, you know, aloof to the fact that this is my first year and I'm not going to have any growing pains just like the players will. I will as well, but my staff is um strong enough to hold me up in those times. They're going to be my uh, my Aaron, <laughs> is that is that right? That's yeah. right. is it my Aaron. Yeah. you are going to be my my Aaron.
3: Okay, I like that. So, what kind of coach are you? Like, are you gonna be yelling? Like, are what? Like, nah, are, are nah, you gonna nah, be getting technicals? Nah. Like, what you about
6: <laughs> to be doing no. on the sideline team?
5: <laughs> though. <That's laughs> no. Some technicals. No, let to <laughs> keep this change in my pocket. Just <laughs> I
4: can't afford the type of mistakes. <laughs> you know, like
5: it's it's a game. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm gonna have fun coaching with coaching the players. I'm gonna enjoy it. Am I gonna have high expectations that you know that everybody's doing their jobs? Yeah. Am I gonna let people hear it when they're not? Absolutely. You know what I mean. That's but sure. I'm I'm the That's same beautiful. I'm the same person. Like I'll be the first to kick you in the butt, but I'm also gonna be the first to celebrate you when you do a good job. And so that's a good
2: coach right there. you know,
5: that's that's what you'll get. I I'll probably at some point get up off the bench but I might
3: <laughs> can't I wait I might for
2: stop. the
5: first tech, because I'm
3: coming right to you, like, what, what was that you were saying about? You ain't gonna get no tech oh, all. Okay. I
5: ain't, go, I ain't gonna get no text, man. I ain't yelling at these referees. I'm gonna let them live. I, I, I Leave that. Leave the I need fan Lisa, I, I, exactly.
1: the I got
3: to you. I'ma tell <laughs> you right now, I'ma be sitting courtside every time going crazy. So yeah ain't got to worry about a thing Tunisia. listen we, go. <laughs> we wish you nothing but the best not I just this year it. but your whole career i'm so hyped that we get to go to this journey together let's absolutely. get it man let's, let's get go. it let's go, let's I'm, go. Excited. I'm excited
5: thank you for joining us here man on moco yes
3: yeah, so nice
5: to no meet
1: problem. you no
4: problem
5: i'm glad you guys had me oh, thank you yes, so much. much absolutely <laughs>
3: So the WNBA draft, as we know, recently happened. The Atlanta Dream, the number one pick, starting the rebuild now. Got the number one and number 15 pick. And so it takes us a little bit of down memory lane of, I can remember, first of all, whenever I think about my senior year, 2009, everybody talks about how we went undefeated. And we did. My experience as a player, it's stressful. I've talked about that before on previous episodes of MoCo, of how stressful it is. The further you go undefeated, the more stressful it is because now everybody's looking at when is that first loss going to be? Is it going to be in the tournament? I was a part of a UConn team that, if you can imagine, didn't win a championship only until my senior year. So I've already had my first year, freshman, sophomore, junior year, where everybody asked me, how many have I won yet? And when you have to say none as a UConn player, it's just not a good (laughs) place to be, okay? So heading into my senior year, it was championship or Bust, baby. And I mean like it was it was understood. It was like. Legacy on the line. It was yeah, it was said out loud. And I can't thank my teammates again. Like I say this all the time, but I can't thank my teammates and Tina Charles, Maya Moore, all those guys who they made sure that the season was gonna end the way that, you know, I prayed it would. So I have to say that to say that after going all, all the way 39 and zero. Going back home, when you play for UConn and you land back in Connecticut after winning a championship, the city, the state, they're going to let you know how proud they are of you. I remember coming down the highway. There's fans on bridges, waving, clapping. They know the route we're going to take. They know the airport we're landing at. They know the route to go back to stores. And there were people just everywhere. We had our parade, pep rally, all of that. It was sold out. I'm taking you guys through the whole process so you can realize how quick it is. So we fly back to Yukon, to and two days later, well not even two days, the night after the game, I'm talking to agents. Who am I going to sign with? Who's going to be my basketball agent? Then I'm already trying to figure out what company am I going with? I chose Nike. So boom, me and Nike. Now I got a Nike deal and then all of a sudden, wait, I got a draft in two days. I got a draft in like two or three days after the championship game so not only are we signing with our agent are we signing with our shoe company are we getting a stylist but then too, our family that followed us to the sweet 16 to the elite eight to the final four they go home change their clothes and their bags they gotta find a way to new york too because that's where our draft was held and so it's just it's a whirlwind I'm not even going to lie to y'all. I fell asleep at rookie orientation. I was tired, boss. Like, I was... (laughs) It was... You fell asleep. I oh fell asleep God. at rookie orientation. I was well, beat. Well, you, you must have been partying hard from the, from the championship. the down, okay? <laughs> Listen, I don't even remember some of the nights. Those couple <laughs> nights were legendary, but it, it was difficult because you just want to be there with your teammates. You want to keep celebrating. And then also you realize, too, that life is about to change in a hurry real fast. And so then fast forward three days later, I'm sitting in the draft room, bookers there, Diddy's there, Coach Ariema's e. there, and I have no idea where I'm going to land. Again, stressed out because... Like we talked about this before, it was said that I could go anywhere from first to 10th. And we've seen all the stories of players that sit in the green room longer than expected, waiting on your name. You just, at a certain point, you just pray to hear the words, Renee Montgomery. I don't care who said it, I don't care where I'm going. Just say my name, say my name. Say my name. <laughs> That's all I need you to do. Just get me out of here. So when I think about drafting, everybody thinks it's this magical moment, and everybody thinks that it's just like fairy tale and rainbows no baby I was tired I was stressed (laughs) I was probably hungover there was a lot going on so it's like draft day is I hope it's different now for the Hoopers but I'm trying to think when did South Carolina win and then how many days later was the draft now and then to even just take it one step further A month from now, you will have won a championship, got drafted, and your first game is a month later in the WNBA. So just putting out the timelines for people that don't understand women's sports, you could win a championship, get drafted, and play your first game in a two-month span. It's a wild ride.
2: So look, what do you remember from being in the draft? Well, I'm just
1: going to say the year 2009 when Renee uh, won the championship was the first year my Christmas tree didn't come down till June because we were so busy. Everything <laughs> was back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Well, I do remember that, you know, Nicole drove from Maryland. She drove down to West Virginia to drive me and Diddy to the Final Four because she thought that uh, her and the Shay thought that we needed to be driven because we had been on the road so much. That so was a long drive. <laughs> she, she, she comes yes. down, and we all head up to St. Louis to the Final Four. And as I said, it was like a whirlwind. It was just so uh, euphoric, I guess, because it's like you're living a dream the, the whole time. I mean, you know, the with the games. And as, I, as Renee said, you know, this is it. And so we really wanted her to be successful with that and any support we could give. I mean, she was going through a lot. I think we were going through a lot. I think every ache, pain, you know, uh, (laughs) fall on the court, we felt it. And so then we get, you know, to uh, having to go up from, uh, we get back from St. Louis, then we have to go back up to New York in like a day or so, so we had to go back. We stopped at Nikki's house, spent the night, because she's in Baltimore like maybe halfway through, then on to New York. And, you know, that was an experience seeing all the young ladies who had just graduated, you know, being there. and They have their stylist and and all of that. And, and again, we met with the agent because Renee had not selected an agent. So we had to get that taken care of and make sure she got someone we thought was going to take good care of her, who was Eric Wiesel. He was the greatest. I just want to say that as well.
3: Yeah, he was my agent my
1: whole entire career. Great agent. Great. I can't say enough about Eric. He, he, he. It really gave us some nights that we could really sleep. That's all I want to say about Eric. But anyway, uh, we got there. Coach Orema was there, and as again, we didn't know, you know what. Uh, we had high expectations for the draft and as a, you you don't know you really don't know and so when she they did call her name at fourth we were elated it was just like oh my gosh you know and and this is the thing when renee first started playing basketball she asked her father she said you know what i want to play d1 ball she never Said she wanted to play in the WNBA or anything that it was just like a progression from there. So that was a joy too to see that yeah she was able to live out of her dr- live out her dream of playing at O D D1 school in UConn. I mean you can't say enough about. UConn. But anyway, then to go on from there and play in the pros. Because, you know, uh, people know that Renee is of small stature, so all along the way, there were naysayers who said, oh, no, she won't play. (laughs) And D1, because she's too small, they're just going to put her there, and they're going to redshirt her. That didn't happen. She started her first game at UConn as a freshman. And then they told us, well, don't be too, you know, over-the-top thinking you're about she's going to get to play with a pro team because you know the pro teams really rely, uh, rely on size you know size is the thing for a pro team so we see where that was so my advice to anyone who's had people tell them they can't yes <laughs> you can
2: oh i love that i just i, I want to ask one question really quick how did that feel because i want to know as a parent like you and Diddy, you guys raised Renee to be a champion. That moment when they called her name—do you remember that feeling of wow? It actually happened. Like I, you know, I'm shaking did her head, yes. Like she's <laughs> like, look,
3: I remember it too.
2: <laughs> yes, it was euphoric. Like, how does that feel as a
1: parent? I just want to know. As a parent, you know, all all you ever want to do is for your child to achieve what they want to do. You know, a lot of times, and, and we did the same. We had goals. And anticipations and expectations that we wanted for her but we wanted her to realize her dreams and her goals and so as a parent when that happened it's euphoric you feel like oh my god this really happened you know we couldn't have planned it we couldn't have written it everything that happened along the way it was a long journey I mean our journey started probably with Renee in the fifth grade and you can imagine that's a long journey that you have to keep focused You have to realize what your goals are, and you have to stay on track. And so to be able to do that, there's a lot of people who start out and don't end up where they want to be at the end. So, you know, it's really about determination, setting goals, and being focused on what you want to do. And as I said, once that happened, like we took a deep breath and like, it's all over <laughs> we made
2: it you know and Cole you you as as big sis what what did it feel like to watch your little sister being a first round pick I wasn't shocked fourth
4: overall I wasn't She's like shocked. I wasn't shocked I knew it was gonna <laughs> happen I mean what I wanted more for her okay so the senior year the championship I knew we were gonna get
3: it. So, oh yeah, yeah! I like that. That that that's that confidence. That's what I'm missing Cole, my rider man. Cole and Shay are my riders. You need to you support. I knew it team. was gonna
4: happen. Did you tell Gina? <laughs> he knew it was gonna happen too. He ain't gonna say it, but we all knew. I mean, Renee, their team was blowing teams out literally by thirty plus points every single game. So you can't tell me we're gonna get to the championship and all of a sudden we can't <laughs> score anymore. Like, so I kind of was like. I felt like, okay, this was the, this is what was going to happen. We were going to win, which we did. We celebrated. We was happy. We did our little dance. We did this. And then she went to the draft and everybody's like, well, you cold. You just don't know. I'm like, whatever. (laughs) She's going (laughs) to go top. And we, and she did. And so my biggest concern or the only concern was her to go somewhere where they appreciated her and where she would feel comfortable on the team because it's almost like when you like when you go to any school it's like you got to walk around and feel like okay this is where I might be this might where I might be only for a season or this might be where I am for my entire career you want her to start off with a great experience because that propels you to want to do and stay in a league longer if you have a terrible experience coming out the gate then you kind of it takes a while for you to get back to how you feel about the game so my concern was where are you going Um, are these people going to treat you the way they should be treating you and that was my only concern so when she got drafted and she went you know top I that didn't I wasn't really shocked by that I'm sorry to say everybody else <laughs> is like no <laughs> you know naysayers I'm beware you, I'm not my wasn't.
3: sisters have been when I tell you riders writer, y'all yes. already heard some of those explain yourself stories of the Yukon days but that doesn't even go into the AAU days where there was about to be a rumble in the jungle at yes, times I'm. you know like my sisters oh, okay. are riders from through and through so when she says she knew she ain't just saying that like in an arrogant, like oh she knew she she's no, been it's there not for arrogant. The, it's confident. the blood oh, yeah. Yeah. the sweat the tears of AAU yes, the tears work. of trying to get where we're trying to get so as we watch you know as I watch the draft and I'm sure as all of us watch the draft it's like you instantly think back to those situations and those moments of when we were in it you know seeing the families like I always watch the families it's like my favorite thing to do who's at the table Do they got a handshake, ready, dap, ready, what's up? Like, I love to see that because if you're a hooper, you know that the people that are sitting at that table are one of the, pretty much the reasons that you're sitting there too. So you want to experience it with them. I wasn't able to have my sisters there with me, but they were there in spirit. Snook and Diddy was sitting at the table. And it's just like, when you think about draft, it's a life-changing moment. Like, it was like, I'm no longer, this is actually my job. And, And to that point, I can get fired now because in college, you know, you have a bad game. You ain't thinking about, am I going to have my job the next day or am I going to be able to play the next day? It's like, well, wait a minute. Things just like, it was serious at UConn, but now it's like food on the table serious. So it's just like, I wish nothing but the best to all the draftees. It's a tough league. 144 women get to play in it. It's that's a it. tough league. 108.8% mm-hmm. gets in. 0.8. 0.8% gets in. 108 women declare for the draft when there was 36 spots available. It's a tough league. So, as I never took it for granted that I was a part of the 144. I wore that badge with pride. What what do you do? I play in the WNBA, baby. Yes. Ooh, yes. like that's that's yes. what I would say. That's the mic drop. People don't know about that 0.8%, but I was proud to be standing 5'7", with my shoes on, that's what I listed as, (laughs) I was proud to be standing 5'7", and saying I'm a part of the 144, so congrats to everyone that got drafted, and to the players that didn't get drafted, it ain't no problem, that ain't no problem, because we've seen before that you don't have to have a certain traditional route to be successful, so just use that, make that your food, and eat on it, that's all I'll say about that. Up next, we have an overachiever, okay? Her name is Lauren Williams. She's a four-time Olympian, and she won medals in the Summer and Winter Olympic Games. Come on, Lauren.
7: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?
3: there's not a lot of people that can say they were the first at something, but you were, you were the first American woman to receive a gold medal in not only the summer Olympics, but also the winter Olympics. So what does that mean to you to kind of, hold that type of title.
0: I mean, it's pretty cool because you don't wake up in the morning and say, I am going to be the first American woman to get a medal in the Summer and Winter Olympics. It's simply something you can't fathom. But I do wake up every day and try to make the most of each day. And so the circumstances that led to me becoming a first in that regard were just kind of, you know, when opportunity knocks, I'm ready to run through the door. I'm always looking at the opportunity and saying, like, how can this make me better? How can this, you know, improve my quality of life and maybe make an impact for those around me? And so that's how I became the first American woman to earn a medal in the Summer Winter Olympics is just kind of like keeping my eye open for opportunities.
3: Yeah. And so just to explain to people how you did that, what did you switch over from the summer to the winter? Like, what was that process like? Because it's hard to be the best in any sport. And you just over here crossing over doing different ones. What was that like just training for that?
0: Well, I'd say the biggest thing is like, you know, first I was track and field. So I was a hundred meter runner, a sprinter, short, straight to the point, running a straight line. So as much as I wanted to be a hoop star, I sat the bench on senior night <laughs> in high school. And it kind of like <laughs> let me know that my I didn't have any hoop dreams coming to fruition. So <laughs> luckily I found something else I was good at. Um, but I was trying to get out of track and field. I realized that kind of it had run its course for me. It was time for me to start transitioning and start thinking about what life after sport was going to look like. I assumed I wouldn't be Doing any sports until I found bobsled. I ran into a girl in the airport, having read an article about her having tried bobsled the year before, and was just basically like, How was it? What was it like? And she's like, Lauren, it's so cool. And it's the Olympic year. Like, the community is great. They'll teach you everything you need to know, and you can go to the Olympics. And I was like, Go to the Olympic. Like, not on my radar at all. But because I'm open, I was just like, Okay, well, let me check this out and see what it's about because. I think is pretty cool. And the only thing I knew about it was pretty much what most of the world knows about it is cool runnings. I'd seen that yes, movie. That's what I was about <laughs> yeah, to say thing. that's
4: the only thing I've ever known about it. <laughs>
0: that, that's all I knew. And I also watched, as soon as I got into Bob's, I was like, well let me watch this movie so I can be up to date on the things. <laughs> <laughs> you was learning from it? Mm-mm. You you were not learn anything from the dramatized movie about how real <laughs> Bobsled works. Like, that was made for TV. Let me just tell you guys.
3: <laughs> 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 Wow! See, that's interesting because when I watch sports movies or basketball in particular, I'd be like, Now, you know that is not realistic. So, tell me some things that Cool Runnings made us believe that's not necessarily
0: realistic to actual bobsledding. I I would just say all of, like, the whole movie is just... (laughs) just, (laughs) You do go down an ice track. That's
4: pretty much it. That's pretty much the only part. That was it. That's all you could (laughs) cooperate. Yeah, that's it. That's all I can cooperate.
3: Wow. So, that's crazy because you were already thinking about life after sports, Pretty early on, you came into bobsledding and you're just a rock star and this is what athletes do. They cross over to another sport and boom, got another medal. So when did you decide that financials was going to be one of your... You know, top priorities. I know that you went to school for it. You have an MBA. When did you decide, like, all right, let me really lock in on finances?
0: So, I mean, my whole life has been like a series of like very fortunate events, if you will. You know, now looking back on it, sometimes I was like, ooh, this is not a good good thing that's happening to me. But you said the finance degree I picked at seventeen years old because I like math and money. And you know, now my thirty something year old self looks back and realizes like my seventeen year old self was not that smart, nor was my eighteen or my twenty one year old self. So often. (laughs) We ask young kids to, you know, make these very adult decisions about what the rest of their life is going to look like. And we just can't know at that age. So we think we know it all at that age. Uh, Yeah. Oh, (laughs) you can't tell us nothing. Right, right.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, but I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, as a very young age for you to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. But I like that you poured into, you know, education, which is I kind of went on that same journey a little bit. I was like, okay, I don't know where this is going to take me, but I'll just try it and way and it did pay off in the long run
0: and that's exactly what it is it's like you know like investing in education, investing in yourself in general, because you don't know where this path is going to lead. So for me, it was I got lucky. Like I said, the fortunate part of that event was like, I like math. I like money. I'm going to pick finance. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't very educated, but it did lead me, you know, to start building a foundation. And then you kind of fast forward a little bit. I became a professional athlete. And the first thing I realized was like, I know enough with the three years of this finance degree that I know that I don't know anything. Um, and so I can recognize that, and I'm willing to pay somebody to help me um, because that's the other thing they tell us is that you go get a college degree and you're gonna be smarter and you're gonna know stuff. And I was like, I don't know anything. So, <laughs> I enlisted the help of a financial advisor, but that didn't go great for me. And it wasn't one of those stories that like someone ran off with my money or I wasn't an athlete making it rain in the club or anything crazy like that, but it was like, I was financially illiterate and this person was not willing to invest the time to help me become literate, which is the most important piece of the puzzle. I don't want someone and, and I, what I don't do for my clients is enable them. You know, my job is to educate you, to help bring you along so that you are more literate and that we can make good financial decisions together on your behalf. That's not who I was working with, though, <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> To fast forward, fired that guy, hired another one, thought that was going to go better. It did not. That company ended up shutting down because like a whole big scandal, a whole bunch of NFL players invested their money in a casino. The casino never opened. So they lost 100% of their money. I was like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm not a millionaire. I'm only in the hundreds of thousands of You didn't have the ducats to give to <laughs> oh, them. You didn't have it. Exactly. So, and that's kind of what brought me to finance as a thing is like all these, like I said, it felt unfortunate in some of those moments, but they really were a series of fortunate events because it makes me really passionate about being able to help others organize their finances and doing it in a way that one resonated with me as a young professional, but also resonates with other young professionals who realize like, hey, I'm making good money, but I'm financially literate. Like, help me out. I love that.
3: What, what,
2: what would you say is the first step to get people like, what would you ask them like to prepare for your future finances? Do this, this is the first step. Boom. What would that be?
0: I would say the first thing you need to do is get your mind right. Just like we do in sport you can be the best athlete in the world but if you come you had a bad day got a a fight with your partner whatever happened like you you're not going to have your head in the game and you're not going to have your head in the game in in your finances until you kind of figured out what your mindset is so that means dealing with the stuff that you've had going on in the past the money messages that came through your household and your upbringing there's so many people out there where they didn't come from a whole lot So now that they have made good money or they are making good money, they feel like they need to give it all away or they need to spend it all so that they can confidently tell like, I ain't got it, bruh. Whenever somebody asks and, and it's, it's like crippling people don't realize that there's like stuff all in your head that is prohibiting you Despite having good income from winning with money So dealing with your money mindset your past your present your future would be step number one Before moving on to the actual digging into your finances piece of the puzzle
3: I love that and so i'm a general partner at valor ventures So I love seeing women get more into the money space the finance space all of that So tell me about your investor in residence program that you're doing and who are you working with? with
0: now yes yes so i had some really cool like i said once again a series of fortunate events uh unfold for me (laughs) lickety splickets (laughs) Right. It is happening. Be in the right place at the right time and just say yes when when doors have come along. So last year I actually did a one week program with Next Play Capital, who uh, is now investing in a fellowship for athletes, which I think is really cool because I think athletes are people who have the platform to be in the VC space, but don't actually have the connections or understand business enough to be invited to the space. So uh, Next Play spent a week last week with me and about 15 other athletes. And I learned, you know, I kind of got my introduction to VC. Fast forward to this year, I met Bobak, the founder of the GP of Debut Capital. And he wanted to pour specifically into female athletes of color, which is super duper niche. Um, And I so appreciate that because it was a nice small group of us. There's just four in this first cohort, but he really spent the time to break down, you know, all the various aspects of VC. He brought in tons of different people to kind of talk to us about their experience. And it really brought like that real life. Okay, this is how you join this industry. These are the things you need to know. These are the questions that you can ask. It's a safe space to ask because generally you're just like, oh my goodness, this is so big and it's fancy and I don't know what to say and I'm going to sound stupid if I ask the wrong question. Like he broke down all of those barriers and created an environment for us to really be able to learn and captivate all the information. So... I could never be happier uh, to have p- participated in that six weeks, and now we're in the phase where we're actually getting ready to start making investments. So
3: wow, I mean, let me just okay, yes, yes, like that's,
4: yes, that's, yes.
3: that's, that's different and that's new yes. because a lot of people might not know, but only two percent of VC funds go to women-led founders, and then there's numbers for minority founders. Valor Ventures—that's what we specialize in. We lean into diversity. We lean into the categories that people don't necessarily lean into. So I love hearing. That what's next then for you guys? Like, what are you looking to tackle next?
0: Well, for me specifically, I am working on my investment thesis and deciding who I want to invest in or what I won't say who, eh, who and what. I think it's it's a little bit of both, right? And so, deciding where I'm going to go, what I want to do, and you know, starting to reach out to founders and say like, hey, can you tell me a little bit about what you're into? I am new to the game and I'm I have some dollars to invest and in, and what. Can I, how can I be involved? How can I add value to what you're doing as a founder? So I'm kind of just figuring it out and deciding like what areas of passion. So I have a few things. Efficiency is something that I really, really love. So, you know, the Ubers of the world and anything where you can kind of hit a button and the massage person show up at your house or the hair person show up at your house. All the the things. Yes. (laughs) So I'm interested in founders that are going to do things to make life more efficient for us. Also, housing is something that I think is really cool. Keeping a roof overhead is just like foundational principle for so many people. So uh, I'm trying to decide in what way I want to be involved in real estate. Because I don't think of it as like real estate investing so much as, like I said, what kind of businesses exist out there that are helping people get proper housing, um, you know, for the long term and for their future. And then the third thing I'm really interested in is food. I love to eat. I love to cook. (laughs) Um, And it is also one of those kind of like staple things, you know, with Maslow's hierarchy. um, It's kind of like food, shelter, after water, water, right? Some people say sex is, 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 is
1: in, in, the, in the hierarchy. <laughs> that's like that hierarchy. hierarchy. That wasn't it, that wasn't in my psychology. <laughs> I'm just saying.
0: If you look in there, you'll feel money. Nice. It's not. A, it's not in my investment thesis though. So. Not yet. have figured out how to Oh but. god, that's hilarious.
3: So we're talking a lot about money, and on Moco, we always talk about building generational wealth because it's not something that our communities talk about. So. Um, I'm curious what now after all your training, studying, and now you're on the path of investing, which creates it. What does generational
0: wealth mean to you? Ooh, that is a loaded question. Um, I, I think it's the idea for me. Generational wealth is um, passing wealth to the next generation and wealth is not necessarily dollars. Wealth is resources. Wealth is knowledge. And to be able to create that generational wealth, it's investing your time. In order for people to be able to actually understand how the resources work, to have the knowledge, to be able to carry on whatever it was that you were doing on the forefront. We're not going to pretend like money is not an important part of it. But to me, wealth is it's beyond money. It is is. the time. It's the knowledge. It is, you know, the investment of all these other things as well. I totally agree. Love it. Love it. I totally agree. Uh, Lauren,
4: good luck. And one
1: day you might look up and see some people without any money calling you to (laughs) try to see if you can give them any, any help about what they can do to get out of their situation. I think that's another thing that people don't realize they don't know what to do or how to do it so even if you don't have any money where do you start mm-hmm.
0: no it's a very real thing and I, I already have people who have no money calling me that's so the like to call it.
3: the people make the people with money ain't calling everybody to learn how to spend <laughs> <laughs> it
0: <laughs> well, well, to, love not to, to be somber but, but it is really a thing where people who are doing well, like don't have any money. $180,000 in income is something I just came across and $50,000 of credit card debt and paycheck to paycheck. And I don't know how I'm going to pay any more of these bills. And then you're just like, wait a minute, that's pretty good income. Like you're doing the math already and saying like, how can you not like, how did you get in this debt? Except, you know, there's, So many different pieces of people's circumstances that are not just like the black and white numbers is one part of the story, but then also, like I said, mindset. You know, there's a lot of trauma that people have experienced and a lot of different things going on that are causing, you know, people who make good money to come to you broke and people who don't make a lot of money to come to you just trying to, like you said, stay alive survive they can't even think about thriving just yet so we definitely need to come up with solutions and that's where like you said cool founders coming my way that have solutions to problems like that are going to be things i want to get involved in yeah and Love i think that's it. why
2: i yes. think that's why yes. espn 30 for 30 don't didn't they do something like when the athletes like when they you know go broke, espn got, 30 for 30 yeah. broke yeah mm-hmm. because you know like you said you know their mindset probably wasn't right for them to receive all that money and handle it properly to begin with so I love everything that you're saying that you're doing so thank you for for your work not
1: to prolong this anything but I just read an article about J.R. Smith indicating that I don't know if you saw that article indicating that he was so so sorry that he had wasted so much money during his playing years he said he could have taken care of communities and he didn't do that and
0: now he's kind of
1: looking back and saying "Hmm, I probably didn't do the right thing with my money when I was making good money
0: yeah and it's hard to think long term when like you said it's just raining on you and you have more than you can think about and I mean there's the saying young and dumb or like this is a lack of experience in addition to lack of literacy but yeah we got to figure out how to close those gaps and make young professionals and definitely professional athletes particularly uh, feel more like uh, I need to take advantage of this time right now as opposed to waiting till later.
3: Love it. Lauren Williams get us together with our finances okay? Thank you so much for joining us on MoCo. Thank you for having me. You know, something Tunisia said really stuck with me because coaches can build you up or they can break you down. They don't know they're doing it either way. They could think that that's their way to lead. They could think that that's their way to coach. They could just think that they're trying to make you better. And sometimes they don't know they're breaking you down. So, you know, I talked about life in sports and the lessons it teaches you. But, you know, at all times, you do have to carry a certain energy about yourself that life will try to beat you down. Sometimes your coaches, they may not try to, but they may be beat you down but snook said it best listen do you boo boo in a sense of if whoever tells you that you can't do something that's really their problem that's not your business so don't worry about it tap in with us next week it's a generational thing
5: hello it is your partner big boy interested in giving back to your community while making new connections in your neighborhood